Hey, it's Kanzano. I appreciate you making this podcast part of your day. Make sure you subscribe if you want more and leave us some feedback. Away we go. Initialize sequence. Welcome to The Baldcast, a production of John Kanzano's Baldface Truth. People may not remember the genesis of old Oregon baseball, but I sure remember when it came back. And I know the guy that we're having on here as our guest uh, is is the driving force for bringing, bringing baseball back to Oregon. Pat Kilkenny, former Oregon athletic director, uh, booster, man of the world, rancher in Hepner, Oregon, uh, joining us now. How are you? How are you, Pat? I'm great, John. I'm excited. It's a very exciting day for, for those of us interested in Oregon baseball. Yeah, it's, it's neat to see this happen, but I, I, it got me thinking. You know, we had Waz on Monday's show, and, you know, I, I saw you on the field at the Pac-12 tournament, and saw you give him a hug at the at the ceremony but you know how did that feel to you to see this breakthrough in in the in this team in this program playing in the postseason oh it, it's yeah you know, you know if, uh it's hard to even put it into words because they're such a great group of kids you know with a coaching staff that's you know extraordinary the chemistry everything about it is something that would make you know if people were as aware of it as i am would make you proud to be associated with oregon baseball the the idea, you know, when did it first cross your mind that Oregon needed to have baseball back? Oh, uh, <laughs> it wasn't something that that I thought about. I I think what happened when 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 Bill was uh, Moose was moving on is the baseball community, the people that were passionate about it, thought, well, maybe we've got this new guy that that he doesn't know what he's doing. If we if we hit him quick and fast and hard, you know, maybe we can convince him and uh, you know reinvent or bringing baseball back and. So my schedule, uh, my calendar started to fill up with, you know, interested parties about baseball. And, and you know, that's uh, – so it was really early on, probably the first month I was in, that I took the job. Moose leaves in 07. You take over in 2007. Correct me if I'm wrong. I think you took like a dollar in salary because they made you do it. And, you know, I, and I think you did this more as a philanthropic thing. What made you do that? Well, my love for Dave Frommeyer to start with, and you know, he he's such an extraordinary human being. He spent his whole life giving back, and you know, as a civil servant, and and he was really difficult to say no to. In fact, I would say, you know, nearly impossible. And and you know, the the school, the state, everything about it had always been very kind to me. And and you know, there was a window in t- in my life that I actually had some bandwidth to do something new. And and yeah, you know, I. My wife wasn't crazy about it. We had, you know, we had a good situation in San Diego, but but she came up and embraced it and really made a big difference, you know, in terms of, you know, moving the needle for Oregon athletics. Everybody, because it's not just it's not something that just one person can do. If you, you know, your your family has to be involved. So Matthew Knight Arena gets built on your watch. PK Park gets built on your watch. The PK Park part fly, flew a little bit under the radar, but I'm now thinking like that was a really important. Uh, you know, investment in construction project. The you know what went into that? How difficult was that to get that ballpark done? Well, it was really difficult because the, we had exhausted our bonding authority and ability within the state of Oregon by building the arena. And there's a percentage, and I gosh, you know, I, you know, I would misspeak if I said what it was, but it. Uh, so we didn't. We had to get creative on the financing to get it done, and and we actually went to a private sector bank and. 
did did something fairly unusual and and you know and during a period of time when unemployment was high that was, was during the great recession and uh, but it was very difficult extremely difficult Pat Kilkenny with us, longtime Oregon booster, donor, athletic director. You know, I mentioned your upbringing in Hepner. Your dad, obviously a a, a Titan in Eastern Oregon. And what did that experience growing up in that small town do for you as a person? Oh, I think I think our roots are always, you know, at the core of who we are when we grow, we grow up. I'm not sure I ever grew up, but. Uh, it was fabulous. You know, we didn't lock our doors. We didn't, we left our keys in our car and, and that all seemed to be, you know, we thought everybody that way and you took care of your neighbors. They took care of you. Um, you know, it was a great childhood, you know, you, because uh, schools are small, you got to play a lot of different sports and, and get involved in, you know, what every element of, you know, of that part of your life. And, and I was blessed to have really, you know, really good family that was incredibly supportive. And, um, yeah, it was, you know, all it does is make me smile when I think about those years. And I know that you have a love for baseball. You've been very close to the Padres community and, of course, the uh, the uh, genesis of or the rebirth of baseball at Oregon. But did you play baseball as a kid? Where did you find the love for the game? Uh, probably more in San Diego because it's such a beautiful climate. You know, I mean, I, I did play, but, uh, and, uh, uh, San Diego, you know, when you, there's probably no better place to go watch a game. It's 70 degrees and, and, you know, it's a beautiful climate. You know, we had a, when I first started going to Pottery Games, they were out at Mission Valley and then they, they built a great park in downtown San Diego and, um, and, you know, I was single and had a lot of free time. I would go to 30 or 40 or even 50 games a year. And, and you know, it's a great place to go hang out with friends. And and as anybody that follows the game, it's, it's pretty intellectually stimulating. It's kind of a giant chessboard, and there's all kinds of things to debate. And yet, also, it's a pastime. And, you know, friends, family, food, uh, refreshment, all the good things. What do you think the pitch clock has done? Is it uh, You got an opinion on the pitch clock? Yeah, it was much needed. I, you know, I don't know that that was the exact right, you know, metric to to move, but it's certainly. I think it's twenty five minutes quicker. And I, I was getting so I couldn't even watch the pro game anymore because, I, you know, as you get older, your patience level starts to wane. And and uh, yeah, no, I think it's helpful. And I, in the and it seems like most all of them are catching up to it. The owner of the Padres is on our foundation board, and so I get an opportunity to talk to him a lot about baseball and. And, you know, and people associated, you know, with the Padres and some other people that, you know, Dave Roberts has become somebody that I'm friendly with now, too. And so it's uh, they, they seem to be good with it. Pat Kilkenny with us, former Oregon athletic director and uh, donor and booster. Uh, you and I have talked about Pat Casey and the success story that Oregon State baseball was. It, was that ringing in your mind as you bring baseball to Oregon? Did did seeing his success go, hey, you know, Oregon could do that too. You can win in the Pacific Northwest. Well, it wasn't directly because, like I said, it wasn't something that I was thinking about. And I, you know, and, and Dave Frommeyer, at some point fairly early on, and for a lot of reasons that I won't, you know, go into today, but, you know, gave me a thumbs up and said, hey, you know, pursue it, you know, see, you know, if you can craft something. You know, there's Title IX issues, there's lots of, there's lots of, hurdles but uh and the oregon state success was going on in the background and I, you know i was very aware of it and and quite frankly really proud of what they've done there and how do you not like that david versus goliath and 
Casey, you know, I got to know him through the GM of the Padres, who was a good friend of his, Kevin Towers from Bedford. And, and you, know, and, you know, how do you not like Pat Casey also? And, um, you know, I mean, we're not going to root for him when we're playing him, but, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, I, I don't think it was a lot. I mean, I, I know that, you know, a lot of the, the media attributed our interest in competing with Oregon State, but you know, I was just focused on trying to you know bring Oregon back, you know, and and all the as I said, all the impediments that we're dealing with. So, what do you know the job of AD because you step into that role, and I can't think of another example in the country in the history of sports where uh, you know a booster goes, you know what, I'll I'll do this and I'll take it on, and you end up. Two years, 2007 to 2009, I think you know the exact number of days probably that you served in that job, but what do, what do the rest of us not know about the job of an AD? Well, it's not as cool and sexy as people think it is. It's At the University of Oregon, it, it was a, a little polarizing because of what you just you know attributed the inmates running the asylum, if you will, and, uh, and campus wasn't exactly excited about the investments we were making into athletics and the vision for Oregon athletics. And, you know, I think they felt that the investments should have been made more on campus and less, you know, on the athletic side, but the vision, and it was primarily Phil Knight's vision was, you know, it was in ties, raises all boats. And it did too. the, the admission scores, the, the uh, GPAs, the number of applications at the university of Oregon, if you follow it, it's kind of a lot like Gonzaga did with, you know, with their athletic, particularly with basketball, you know, everything was elevated because of the investments that were made in in uh, Oregon athletics. You mentioned, uh, and, and it was, you know, it was it was tough because, you know, I spent half my life over on campus and trying to get them to understand the vision, and and it was it was, and we had a fabulous group of you know faculty members and, and a handful that, quite frankly, should have been thrown out of there, but <laughs> but with ten, but with tenure you can't do it and. Um, but you know, I, I mean, that side of it was was uh, was eye opening for me, and and, and and frankly, fairly frustrating on a daily basis. But um, but it, it, but we got through it. You know, I wasn't in Afghanistan, Afghanistan fighting a war. I was in beautiful Eugene, Oregon, yeah. going to work every day. So yeah, and I, I and I always tell people, you know, people will say, hey, you know, why are the coaches getting paid so much? Why are why such investment in football? And I go. You know, show me people who are buying tickets to go see a you know a lecture on campus, and you know, show me a uh, show me a, a department that is generating you know a hundred million dollars in revenue, and and we can have that conversation. Like it's it, it always confused me and frustrated me as well, and it still does when I see sometimes the academic side not understanding how athletics can be your front porch. Yeah, and truly, particularly at a place like Oregon, you know, I when we did a basketball search, one of the candidates I talked to didn't know whether we were in Corvallis or Eugene. So, you know, we had we had we didn't have a, an identity at that point in time, and we have a national brand now. Everybody knows the University of Oregon, and it's you know, respectfully, it's off the back of our athletic program. In the meantime, the Knights have invested in nanoscience. The Bombers have made an incredible investment, and in, you know, in in. Uh, in a niche that that's long past due and being able to, you know, help, you know, mental health issues. And, and, you know, and, and I think everybody knows, you know, what Steve Bomber's a very passionate, you know, sports fan too. So, and Connie. And so, you know, all, all of that's synergistic. And I, I don't think they're mutually exclusive. I think they are, they are connected at the hip. It's just that, 
you know, people don't understand the grander vision and the fact that the, the collaboration is really powerful. Uh, the coaching salaries and all that stuff, yeah, they are what they are, but it is American, it is capitalism, and and you and I don't get a vote, and, and you just said it, and people pay big prices to watch sports, and and it really moves the needle financially, and, and you know, that's it's competitive. Pat, you, you mentioned Phil Knight a couple times, and, you know, he is uh, on record saying, you know, he would like to own the Trailblazers. What would he be like as an NBA owner? He'd be fabulous. Uh, Phil is, he, he, he surrounds himself with amazing people, he, and he, he's done that all his adult life, and he allows, you know, make sure they have the tools and resources that they need, and then and he gets the heck out of their way. You know, he's a, certainly is very aware of, you know, whatever the, you know, the goals are and, the, and, and whatever the controls are. And if things are going off the rails, you know, he's the first to chime in, you know, whatever it is that, you know, wherever sensitivities are. But a lot of these owners, you know, and I've talked to Chip Kelly a fair amount about his experience in the NFL, is these, these owners are intrusive. They, you know, they try to do things they can't spell. And quite frankly, stand, stand in the way of success for the, you know, the general managers and the coaches. And but Phil would not do that. You know, he knows what he knows. He's quite comfortable in his own skin. And uh, he absolutely loves the state of Oregon. He loves the University of Oregon. He's given a lot of money to Oregon State, which, you know, he probably wouldn't appreciate, you know, me even talking about. But, but you know, in Portland State's, you know, it's uh, all of that's important to him. Yeah, and I think, you know, it, the confusion now is, you know, the trustee of the estate, why won't she take his call? And, you know, I get it. Sometimes wealthy people like to tell other wealthy people to pound sand, but uh, I think she should take that call. And, you know, if she cares at all about the franchise, entertain, you know, listen to what he has to say, right? Yeah, I mean, time's a wasting, and people do, you know, get disinterested. And, and you, as you pointed out, it's an expensive ticket and you know and at some point in time the fan base starts to dissipate too and because there's so many other media options particularly given all the you know digital world you know that we're all you know learning to understand and and you know exist within but yeah i I don't understand that i don't know the person at all and i don't want to be critical of people i don't know but but it sure seems like um she she should hand it off particularly if somebody like phil not would just be a great steward too you know, because they are community assets. They're not just capital assets for rich people, but but those those assets belong to the community. And you know, and when they when the charters move, I mean, it's it really is uh, something that that sends shockwaves through a community. I just you know, it's something that a lot of people really care a lot about. PK Park will be the site of the Super Regional. Uh, Oregon against Oral Roberts. Uh, first team to two wins gets a trip to Omaha. What would it mean to you? What would it mean to the program, to Oregon fans, to see Mark Wasikowski and that team get to get to Omaha? No, you just gave me goosebumps, so I guess that's a <laughs> start of an answer. So, uh, you know, it, it, when when I walked into Rose Bowl on January first, nineteen ninety five, and saw you know Oregon in the end zone, you know, th- those things are, you know, when you're young, they're not going to happen. When we went to Phoenix for the Final Four with Dana and his special group. And, you know, those things don't happen to Oregon. You know, we've now played for national championships in a lot of sports. You know, Casey won a national championship in golf. And, and you know, the women's basketball played, played at a high level. There's been so much good going on, but 
but this baseball thing, you know, it's new. You know, we didn't play it for, I think it was 27 years. And, and there are so many people that care so much about it. And, and at the, you know, and, you know, George came and helped us lay a great foundation and, and, you know, and then, you know, uh, and actually, the the uh, alumni group of baseball players really got behind Waz, and I think gave you know the university administration a you know a, a significant nudge about bringing Waz in as their head coach. And and gosh, was that a great hire! And then his assistant coaches, uh, you know, Martyr and Thomas and others, or uh, Daryl Hunter, they're all ex Ducks, part of the original group. So it's you know it's kind of a Disney story. You know, there's there's not a darn thing wrong. I actually went to Nashville too, and and uh, go down there and beat Vanderbilt on their field, and and uh, we actually talked to Tim Corbin, Corbin about coming to Oregon. So you know, we have great familiarity. And I mean, that is Vanderbilt's the gold standard in college baseball, in my opinion. And and the kids have a lot of confidence. They're playing at a high level, and yeah, I mean, at this point, as you just said, they won two games, and and then and there's a there's an opportunity. I'm pretty certain Oregon State was a sixth seed when they won it their second time. Yeah. I mean, we've seen sometimes the last team in, whoever's playing great baseball uh, can win this thing. Uh, game one uh, tonight coming up at 5 o'clock, ESPNU. Pat, before I let you go, uh, you know, the realignment uh, in college football, I, I got I to gotta know what you think of what's happening. And then you have a great business sense. You've built companies. Uh, you've built huge and successful companies. Uh, you are visionary in that way. Tell me what you think college football is going to look like in a decade or two decades from now. Well, I mean, if you look at, you know, and I don't like this outcome, but but I do think there's going to be meaningful consolidation because what's going on with these the realignment is, is, is effectively consolidation, but they're trying to, you know, it's low-hanging fruit. So they go pick Texas and Oklahoma and then, you know, USC and UCLA and, and the, you know, the, but one and one equals a much greater number when you move those into these these other conferences, and but I, ultimately it begs for an NFL model because the NFL model, if you look at the the demographics and the economic outcomes in terms of media contracts, are multiples of what college football is. It's because it's, they're all consolidated, and and so there's one media deal that gets done or two media deals that get done, and you have a lot more power, than, you know, in negotiating deals. So. Uh, and that's what the SEC is doing. That's what the Big Ten's successfully done. And and so it, there's it, it, there's going to be a, a gap between the haves and have-nots. And, and I don't know what that looks like. You know, I've seen a model where there's 100 schools involved. I've seen a model where there's 50 involved. But uh, it, it, the thing that's disappointing is the Rose Bowl and, and the, you know, the, you know, the regional rivalries and, and, you know, the bowl games and all the things we all grew up in you know, get kicked to the curb because, you know, of the almighty dollar. And and that's the disappointing part to me. But but it's, you know, at this point, but, you know, as they say, the genie's out of the bottle and there's no way they're going to they're gonna bring it back. And shame on the NCAA for letting a lot of this happen, quite frankly. And, um, you know, because they just did not do a good job of, of uh, leading. Now, I hope you get a good seat at PK Park uh, for, <laughs> for this thing. Yeah, well, Stephanie and I are leaving here, and before too terribly long, we are going to be fairly noisy fans, and my all my siblings and and friends are coming. So yeah, it's going to be a great day to be a duck, and and a place will be rocking, that's for sure. Pat Kilkenny, thank you so much for giving us your time. Yeah, my pleasure, John. Thanks.
There he is, Pat Kilkenny, uh, PK Park uh, tonight, site of game one as Oregon eyes a trip to Omaha. Leave it here. You got the bald face truth statewide on the BFT Radio Network. Great stuff with Pat Kilkenny. You want a, a podcast of that interview? Uh, we'll have it in real time shortly. Uh, get a podcast of this radio show uh, wherever you find a podcast. And if you're listening on the podcast right now in real time, wherever you may be, could be the middle of the night. Maybe you're walking the dock like Mike Leach used to do when he would listen to the show. Maybe you are uh, out for a run. Um, reach down and hit the subscribe button. Make a commitment. You know, like doesn't cost you anything. Just subscribe, follow. You'll get all of the podcast episodes in real time. I'm going to take a quick call, then we're going to go right into Punch It Audio. Mike in Seattle's called in. He wants to talk about the Bill Walton 30 for 30 documentary. Two episodes in, Bill. What do you think? Excuse me, Mike. What do you think? Oh, unbelievable, John. I, I, and I don't say unbelievable that often. It is unbelievable. Did you see the first two yet? I've seen all four, but I don't want to oh, be a spoiler. That... I don't want to okay, be a spoiler, but, yeah, no. it gets better. It, it it can't get any better. It gets as better. A kid growing up in okay, as a kid growing up in Portland, born in 1957, I'm an Oregon State fan, Blazer fan, fan of the, of, of everything. It's unbelievable you know, to see Bill in that in that documentary of his life, and as it pertains to his upbringing. You know, they interview his mother at her house with her yarn and coloring books. Uh, they go, you know, he goes to his high school basketball coach's house, goes back to Portland, goes to Wallace Park and walks on the basketball coach or court, and there's some kids shooting hoops, and he starts talking to them about playing basketball and giving them little life lessons. The best part, though, is about his three grown or is it four grown sons? I think, uh, you know, we haven't seen most of them on camera talking about their dad ever and how he used to write on their uh, on their sandwich bag, you know, be quick, but don't hurry. I love that. unbelievable. So everybody in Portland uh, and can hear it on 750 the game here. They've got to find that documentary and get caught up on yeah. the first two now you got to go back, back mike we we had earlier in the week was it this I, week or last week we had the guy who who that, did the documentary I, on the show oh did you okay yeah. because i heard paul Knowles the other day yeah you heard uh, paul and, and and yeah yeah and that's what that's what got me think oh geez you know there's oh that documentary is coming out that's right and and did they have the watch party the other night and no, the watch, the watch party is for, the watch party that they're having is taking place uh, next week for the final two episodes. Okay. But we oh. had the guy who was Steve James, who was the yeah. um, was the uh, thirty for thirty. You know, he did Hoop Dreams. He's done a whole bunch of other big time projects. We had him on the show. Go back. It was seven days ago. So it was last oh. Friday. Oh. Go to last Friday's yeah. podcast and look for the Steve James episode. And listen to that interview, okay? Well, and I subscribe up here, so I subscribe yeah. to your podcast. Okay. Uh, I don't listen to Softy. I listen to you at 3 o'clock. Well, yeah, and, but I can't. But, but I can't tell you, as a Portland kid, I was almost in tears as I was watching it because it took you back to opening night of the first game of the Blazers. There was only 
4,200 people at the game. Unbelievable. Yeah, and not if you ask. Days. Not if you ask people today. There's 42,000. Oh, if you ask people today, like I was at every no, game. I, they tell you, yeah. I remember they had plywood down behind the baskets over the ice for the Portland Buckaroos or the or the yeah it was probably the Buckaroos. There was only 4,200 there. You go buy a ticket at Martin Frank's for two dollars and sit courtside. So <laughs> to see where all that's come, and then when Bill got got there and he lived in Northwest Portland, and I had a job over there, and I. I would see him park his car and walk to his house over there. And um, so it's great. I'm glad that uh, that he's still alive because I read that book. You know, he had a documentary. Yeah. Um, there was a biography. All right. All that right. You're excited. Just say. Look, Mike, 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 you're excited, yeah. aren't you? You're fired up I, about I, this. Yes, I am. All right. I want you to carry this enthusiasm into your weekend. You got it? All right. Go big. All right. Go. All right. There he goes. Mike, Mike in Seattle. He's fired up, Stephen. He could have he could have gone play by play of what exactly happened in every scene throughout the entire documentary right here, John. I, I don't blame him. I don't blame him. It's great. I, but but for people who want to go to the watch party, Paul Knowles called in yesterday. Next week, I believe is it Thursday when they come out the episodes? Wednesday or Thursday? I can't remember. It's, it's the thirteenth is the next round. So we are four days away. Whatever that is, Tuesday. Um, 124 Northeast Alberta Street in Portland is where the watch party is. 124, or is it 126? 124 Northeast Alberta Street <laughs> next Tuesday for the for the watch party of the next two episodes of the Bill Walton 30 for 30. Join Paul Knowles and see him. Now, let's do Punch It. We interrupt this broadcast with a special announcement from the Bald Fish Truth Headquarters. Hey, we're all about truth, justice, and the American way here, okay? Which is why we've spanned the globe and pulled the top audio cuts of the day. You're going to hear little snippets of sound. Hey, it's time for Punch It Audio. Presented by First Call Heating and Cooling. Well, let's start with Ryan Leaf. He was asked which Pac-12 quarterback could challenge Caleb Williams to be the best it's got to be Penix Jr., right? Here's Ryan Leaf. Punch it. It's Michael Penix Jr. from Washington. Um, they play each other this year. They didn't last year. He led the nation in passing. He was incredibly well protected in the pocket. He was hardly touched last year. And if they have any of the same type of protection, this team is going to be very difficult to beat. I do surely believe he came back to school because NIL existed. He's probably getting paid as much as he would have gotten as a third or fourth round draft pick this year. And what he's doing is setting himself up for a chance at a Pac-12 championship, a chance at a run at the, the college football playoff. And I really do think he's the mainstay in terms of a guy that could challenge Caleb Williams uh, uh, for the Heisman Trophy. He just says has to stay healthy. And, and that hasn't been a problem because they protected him. And they've got freaks running around the field at wide receiver. Yeah, look, Washington's great. Washington's been great. Part of the impressive, part of what was most impressive about Michael Penix Jr. last season, for me, was everybody knew that's that's all Washington had on the offensive side of the ball. They couldn't run the ball, and he was still great. Oregon knew that Washington was throwing the ball and couldn't stop him. So did everybody else. Now he had a little bit of a fall off, couple points, couple games. But I, I actually think that there's a chance that Michael Penix Jr. doesn't quite have the statistical year that he had a year ago. 
but that Washington's just as good. And it would really rely upon Washington being a little better in the run game and a little better on defense, which I think they can do. But I, I'll, I'll add a caveat to this for Ryan Leaf. Who can challenge Caleb Williams? I think a number of QBs could challenge, including Bo Nix at Oregon. And I'll say this. I don't think statistically DJU at Oregon State is going to be a 4,600-yard passing guy. But Oregon State doesn't need him to do that. I think he could be super efficient and surprisingly efficient. Keep an eye on it. J.J. Reddick talking about the formula to stop Nikola Jokic and Jamal Murray. Is there a formula? Can you stop these guys? J.J. Reddick, punch it. I'll keep saying it. The the Jokic-Murray two-man action is virtually unguardable. Um, I don't know how. I don't know if there's a formula to stop it. I don't know that there's a formula to contain both of them. Uh, they tried at times to blitz. Murray handled it well. They made some adjustments against the zone. Uh, Denver did. That led to some easy buckets. Um, I Look, I, I think overall, I just want to be cognizant of what's happening in real time. Without any sort of takiness, I think we're witnessing Nikola Jokic and Jamal Murray, who are having an all-time playoff run. All-time playoff run, yes. But keep in mind, this is a team that had a 19-22 and record on the road in the regular season. Hey, that's that's okay, right? By, by NBA standards, be, you know, three games under five hundred on the road. But, you know, they're not dominant in the regular season the way they've been in the postseason. Steven, I'm going to pivot to you here. What about the postseason has made the Nuggets look uh, look unbeatable? You know, the postseason in, in all sports is so different than the regular season. I think in, the bas- in basketball, it's about shot making, right? Like, can you create your own shot? Can you create shots for others? And that's exactly what Nikola Jokic and Jamal Murray do so well in that pick and roll. You know, Jamal Murray can score for himself, but he can also come off and pass to someone else. And Denver's been hitting some shots lately. You know, Murray's averaging... Uh, close to 10 assists, a ball game in the first three games in the finals. Jokic, same thing. I talked about that a couple days ago. He's the most unselfish player I've ever seen in the NBA. Like, that's the way he plays, and he can create shots for himself, create shots for others, and they're good shots. They're not just, like, you know, contested threes. They're shots at the rim. They're shots, you know, in the paint that are easier. I think these two guys just are really good at, you know, creating room and getting to their spots on the court, and it's so hard to do in the playoffs because the defense is buckled down, and so... When you find those guys, they can go on runs like this. And I, I think, you know, watching the Blazers play in the postseason in prior years when it was Dame and all those other teams, they didn't have anybody else that really could get to their spots and create for others. And I think right now with Denver, they have two guys, and they're both elite at doing that one thing. So it's hard to guard those type of players. And, uh, you know, when they're rolling, Denver is a very tough team to stop. Damian Lillard took to Instagram Live and TikTok to address some comments about his future playing for other teams candid conversation with you listen carefully to Lillard punch it I keep seeing this clip about um, Miami and all these other teams and if y'all watch the whole interview you'll see he asked me about specific teams and I just answered the question I think when people just answer questions honestly and just speak on stuff, y'all just take it and run with it. But 
I was just answering the question, bro. At the end of that same interview, he asked me, do you think you'll be in a trailblazer uniform in October? And I said, yes, I do. Because I do think that. And as I've been saying for over a decade, that's what I, I want to do what I want to do. So, I mean, the clickbait is crazy. You know what I'm saying? I'm seeing people, oh, you know, Dame is getting old. Like, y'all talking about it like I'm 37. I'm 32, bro. Like, I just had the best season of my career. I'm healthy. I'm strong. You feel me? And it ain't gonna stop no time soon. So, I mean, it's crazy how they just be speaking on it. It's crazy how they be speaking on it as if, you know what I'm saying? I ain't capable of what I'm capable of. You see everything else that's happening. I'm just trying to, you know what I'm saying? Make a run. But I felt like I had to say something because I don't want it to keep looking like I'm in the background, you know, setting up or whatever. Like everybody have conversations. I, you feel me? I answer my honestly. I answer it straight up, especially if you put it on the table and be like, oh, this would be cool. That would be cool. You know, that sound good. That sound good. But the reality of the situation is that I've been standing on what I've been standing on for a long time. Damian Lillard, I would say this to Dame. We all age, Dame. It's okay. Embrace it. It's not like you're 37, but we are kind of looking at the end of the rainbow here. But isn't he? Isn't he? Okay, I got a problem with this. He's yeah. mad that people are talking about what he's saying. He literally said this. He, I know. Yeah, I understand he was asked the question. He didn't go out of his way to say, I want to play in Miami. But he said, if I were to play for a different team, Miami, obviously. Like, he's saying where he would want to play. Now, yes, he was asked a question, and then he said, yeah, I want to play for the Blazers. I think I'll be on the Blazers. But he literally said this, like, how are, we're not taking it out of context. This is Those are literally his words that he said. Like, we, he can't be mad about this. He, he shouldn't be mad about it. This is one of these things where uh, somebody says something, then everybody reacts to it, and then you get mad at everybody for the reaction to it. He... Yeah, look, I, I, and I, I'm trying to empathize with him here. He's going to be 33 on July 15th. Let's not say you're 32, okay? You're, you're closer to 33. You, my, uh, my nine-year-old would say he's 32 and seven eighths, or whatever that is. Yeah, what, Ten. What do you round up at that point, right? Yeah, you're rounding up. You're 33. You. The problem is everybody's looking at your contract and looking at 50 million, 55, 58 million towards the end of the deal and. No, it's not like you're 37, but it, it it's not like you're 27. Okay, so you're moving away from your prime years. And I would also argue, like, I keep hearing he had his best year ever. I, I don't know if he did. I don't know if he did. I think he had a really encouraging year coming off a year in which he shut it down early, got a surgery, got it addressed. He was rested coming into the year. He obviously, I mean, had some landmark games, 70-plus points, you know. Yeah, he he proved he could still play. If that's the if that's what he's saying, I'm not arguing with him. But if you give me Lillard at uh, 29 or Lillard at 
33. I'm taking Lillard at 29 all day. I, I don't think he... I don't think he helped himself with this video, but I also think he, I don't think he has any shame in saying I want out or I want this team to build around me. Like I, there's no shame in what he's saying. So why is, why does he feel like he has to come forth? I don't know. It just seems like he's playing both sides, right? Like he's saying, well, I didn't say that I want to play anywhere else. I said, I want to play for Portland or I think I'll be in Portland, but I also said where I would want to go if I don't play in Portland. Like, it's playing both sides. It, Jude made the point, like, it kind of has Russell Wilson vibes a little bit. When Russ came out and talked to Dan Patrick, said, you know, I, maybe I'd be traded. I'd go here. Like, that's what it kind of feels like to me, and it's not a bad. It's not bad if Dame wants out, but I think Portland right now, they're just in a spot where you got to do what's best for the franchise. If it's to keep Dame, there's no value. You keep Dame. If it's to trade Dame, trade Dame, but you can't be held hostage by Dame right now, and I just, I don't understand why he's getting so mad about this when he said these words. 503-417-7575. I want you to weigh in. You heard, you heard Damian Lillard. You heard him say his piece there. Two minutes, 12 seconds, setting the record straight. You get a chance as a fan. What do you hear there? What do you want to happen here? What are you okay with? We interrupt this broadcast with a special announcement from the Bald Hey, sorry to interrupt the podcast, but... If you want to listen to more of the Bald Face Truth Radio Show, including more of this segment that you're listening to, make sure you subscribe on SoundCloud and iTunes to the Bald Face Truth Radio Show. Thanks for listening.